BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Somebody had walked out on the screening and was out by a bathroom or something, and they ran into John McNaughton, and the guy's like, you can't do that. You can't do you can't do what you just did in this movie. And McNaughton's like, I guess I, but I get, but I did, I did do that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region. No guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. What is in this house? Speak to John. John is with us. Hello, everybody. It is episode 34 of Recotopia. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. I am Chris Atkinson. And I'm Jeremy Scott. And uh, today's big recommend is going to be 1980s The Changeling. Um, Hello, everybody out there in the chat who have come to watch us on Tuesday. Uh, Already lively there in the comments. uh, Indeed. On Twitch and YouTube and and all the things. Um, But um, uh, anyway, how are you doing? How's everybody doing? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody good? Everybody yeah. good? Everybody's Ready good. for some recommends? Mm-hmm. Huh? Let's do some recommends, yeah. It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. Yes, yes. I will I will kick it off. Uh this week, uh I have two both my both my small recommends are documentaries. Oh. Which is a little outside of my wheelhouse. Um the first one is called Blind Ambition. Okay. Um this movie was released, according to the internet, on September 2nd um, and is currently still in select theaters. I imagine you'd have to go to L.A. or New York to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought it on Amazon or rented it, actually, I should say. Um, so if you have an Amazon account and um, some spare dollars, you can rent this now and watch it. I imagine it will be streaming soon. This is about four guys from Zimbabwe who uh, had left Zimbabwe separately, they didn't know each other, uh, as refugees and moved to South Africa. And um, once they got to South Africa, they tasted wine for the first time, uh, met each other, um, and formed a wine-tasting competitive team that 
actually went to the World Wine Tasting Championships in Bordeaux. I think it's in, well, it's in some area of France that's mm-hmm. super famous for wine. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, Zimbabwe, since the mid-90s, uh, there have been, I think, some three million people who have fled uh, to other countries because of the financial disparity there. And One of the guys in the film even says, um, the ride to work on the bus costs an entire month's salary. Um, so that's sort of the financial situation that they were facing. Um, and they all have similar stories, even though they didn't know each other in Zimbabwe about the kind of hardships they were facing. Um, one of them is a sommelier. Um, another one, uh, is some kind of a like sommelier in training. Uh, and basically this film follows them, um, as they spend the last month before this tournament, uh, cram training, on being expert wine tasters. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just charming as hell um, and kind of inspiring uh, because these guys had nothing, nothing. Yeah. And when the movie's over, it tells you, you know, this one owns his own winery and this one uh, has his own wine, restaurant and wine tasting bar in this part of the world. They, they've just all grown so much from their bonded love of wine and not only wine in general but wine tasting actually it's very frustrating watching this movie if you drink wine to enjoy it Mm -hmm. like i do because they're constantly spitting it out and like they roll it around in their mouth but they they can't get drunk they got to taste 12 different wines yeah um and uh it's just fascinating to me that um they were able to you know fall in love with this sport i guess and then get good enough to go and compete on an international level uh just really really fascinating really charming uh and so that's my first small recommend blind ambition you can rent it on amazon but i imagine at some point it will be uh you know 2.99 everywhere on your digital service of choice i think it's amazing that there are people out there who can just by taste tell you what the year and the uh, where it got where it came from and all of that like i know that requires like a long time and a lot of experience and all of that but i just god how in the world does that even happen it's a taste there's, <laughs> there's so many scenes of them practicing where their coach will give them a blind wine and they'll taste it and they'll go around and, oh the dryness makes me think that this is old world oh i get a little bit of tree bark in there that must be from spain and it's just remarkable how often one of them is pretty much dead on Mm -hmm. um but when they get to the competition it's it's crazy hard even the people that like regularly win it are telling the camera like it's really hard (laughs) like it's really hard yeah you have to guess of course it is the the, the maker of the wine is one of the four things you have to guess right like the actual bottler crazy that is insane um okay so i watched a movie that i know that you love as well and uh Mm. and uh may end up being a big recommend someday i'm assuming but uh this was uh during one of the uh, monthly movie nights that i have with this one group of friends and everything somebody picked the talented mr ripley as one of the movies and uh this movie came out in 1999 uh, this is Matt Damon just off, just hot off the presses of Goodwill Hunting and Saving Private Ryan uh, in this, playing Tom Ripley, a man who was sent by 
this uh, guy's father, Dickie Greenleaf's father, played by James Reborn, uh, sent to Italy to go find Dickie Greenleaf and bring him back. He wants him back mm-hmm. in the States. And mm-hmm. uh, Tom goes there and uh, and runs into Dickie and finds out that Dickie doesn't much want to leave Italy at all, uh, doesn't care too much. And how in the world are you supposed to argue your way back argue somebody's way back to america i don't i've never understood this this whole yeah. premise but uh but the <laughs> father believes that it, it can be done in the meantime tom is already mistaken for dicky right off the bat in the early going by kate blanchett who you you see this she's right off of elizabeth when this movie comes out uh, you just wish she could be in this more, but her character is key in this a lot because yeah. as soon as she she thinks that he's Dicky, it becomes a big plot point by the end of the movie. Um, yep. <clears throat> uh, but Tom befriends Dicky and even loves Dicky. Dicky is uh, is uh, is dating Gwyneth Paltrow, but he's also got some other woman on the side, um, and she knows it. But it's kind of like you know i don't it's like one of those weird i don't care but i do care but yeah those kind of that kind of type of deal but tom is definitely living the life in italy and wants to wants to hang out with dicky constantly and and it's interesting to me once philip seymour hoffman comes in and is playing that was it frankie miles or something like that is his name freddie freddie miles uh he's playing uh, this other friend of Dickie's that comes in and like he's listening to music and all that and he's getting Dickie to come in and listen to the same music with him. It's amazing like how Tom starts to seem needy when you start mm. seeing Fred through seeing him through Freddie's eyes. Uh, yeah. Like all the time you're sitting there like, oh, this is a nice friendship. This is cool. He's always hanging out with Dickie. And then when Freddie shows up, Suddenly, Tom says something about like wanting to join him at a party or something. You see Freddie, and he's like, <laughs> he just kind of yeah. laughs at him, like, well, "Who is this dude?" You know, he sees right through him immediately. Yeah, immediately. <clears throat> and um, of course, this this has that great we have used a million times in videos before, where Philip Seymour Hoffman's like, "Tommy, how's the peeping? Tommy, how's the peeping?" Um, uh, the the soundtrack to this is the the, the score to this is beautiful. They use a, a, a similar uh, uh, a similar piece all the way throughout the the movie, but it's just great. It's very mysterious and mm. and everything. But uh, I don't know how much I need to spoil this, but I'll say this: Tom ends up pretending to be Dicky full time in this movie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and. And it, a lot of things depend on him. Some people knowing that he's Tom Ripley, and some people knowing that he's Dickie Greenleaf, and he's got to play that juggling act the entire like third act of this movie. Yeah, and uh, and it's a wonderful movie. It's a great movie. It's it's a it's an Anthony Minghella movie for people who hated The English Patient. So, um, like me, yeah, like Jeremy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this movie is is really fantastic. It was great to see a revisit on this one. I hadn't seen it in a while. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, a talented Miss Ridley. Jude Law is great. Jude Law is also coming straight off of Gattaca. Uh, mm-hmm. where I think that was his breakthrough and everything. Um, so a lot of people in this movie are just becoming big stars. Gwyneth Paltrow had been one for a bit. 
uh, mm. even though she's kind of shoved to the side a little bit. But she's really good in this, too. She's got some moments in this movie uh, that are great. So, uh, yeah, I'd highly recommend this. Yeah, it's good stuff. I've probably seen that movie 20 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just gets better and better and better. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> My second small recommend is another documentary. You may remember a few weeks back that Chris recommended a film called 13 Lives, um, which is uh, starring Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell and um, Joel Edgerton. And it's about the rescue of the 13 or 12 soccer players and their coach that got trapped in the caves in Thailand. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, there's a documentary. There's actually two. um, But there's a documentary on Disney Plus called The Rescue. Mm. And um, I sat down after I watched 13 Lives with my wife and watched The Rescue um, on Sunday, um, <clears throat> really good, really riveting. This actually, I turned to my wife about two thirds of the way through and said, if I did not know how this ended up in real life, <laughs> I could not watch this movie. Yeah. I, it would make me so freaking anxious. Um, and if you scripted this as a movie, instead of base it in a real event, you know, the studio head would throw the script back at you and ask for something more realistic mm-hmm. uh, because the, the rescue they pull off is insane. It it's is. absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you heard about it in the news, you did not hear about what they did. Mm-hmm. You just heard that they dove them out and rescued them. But they basically tranked these kids um, with a cocktail of drugs multiple times mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout the cave swim mm-hmm. and... The guy that they get to help him do it initially was like, no, no, I could probably list 50 different ways that they're going to die doing this. This is, mm. you can't do this. And it just, be, it ultimately becomes the only option. Very fascinating to watch the, the real footage of the things that I saw, the, the dramatized version of. Um, because as no matter how good an actor Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell are, they can't play normal weird dude as well as a normal weird dude can. And these guys, like when they're being introduced on screen, it's like IT specialist slash slash cave diving hobbyist. Yeah, like, yeah. Like they're just old, weird, skinny British dudes who have done this as a hobby so much. And I love the interviews with them. You don't get any of that in the dramatized version where they explain why they love cave diving and mm-hmm. why, even though it's so scary and isolated and it's like space um they're so anxious in their normal lives that being alone in a dark cave with the unknown is actually the most peaceful place and time for them Mm -hmm. and they're just really fascinating weird weird individuals um but uh what's what's Extra cool about this documentary, I'm sorry, I'm going too long, is that there are some scenes that they clearly had to stage. For instance, the first dive the two guys make into the cave, there is footage of guys in a cave laying some wire diving. But you know that's not them because they didn't film that themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then when they first reached the kids, one of the guys in real life broke out a camera and started filming. Mm-hmm. And the, the documentary goes into the camera and boom, you're seeing that actual footage. It's yeah. not staged. And then as the film goes on, you kind of can't tell anymore 
which sections were staged and which sections are real. At one point, my wife was like, I think this is real. I think this is real footage. And I was like, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. When they're like bringing them out on stretchers and everything. It's really, really fascinating rescue and story. Uh, and if you had any interest in 13 Lives or watched it and liked it, I think this would be a nice chaser. It's on yeah. Disney Plus. It's called The Rescue. Definitely need to see this. Uh, the uh, I when I watched Thirteen Lives, I did watch uh, the. I think I, I think this is what you were describing. I did watch a YouTube video of the scene in the movie where Colin Farrell is telling them that he's going to get them food and everything, and that becomes a big thing with Vigo later, where he's like, "They ain't ever getting out of this fucking thing." Um, yeah. Uh, they they showed that that was that video is on YouTube though of him t telling all the kids oh, we're gonna come back. Yeah, now, I don't think he tells them. I think they did this for dramatization. I don't think he tells them that we're gonna come back with food and, my, and doctors and all that. Like like Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell like promises the moon in that yeah. in that thing. <laughs> um, but some of what he says, some of Farrell's dialogue is straight from that real yeah. video where he yeah, says yeah, yeah. like you are so strong. Uh, it gave me chills. Anyway, yeah. good um, stuff. <clears throat> Uh, my next recommend is going to come with some caveats because this movie is disturbing. Mm. Um, it's Henry portrait of a serial killer, um, mm. uh, starring Michael Rooker. Uh, this is, this is like, like super young Michael Rooker. He's like in his early thirties in this. Um, uh, but, uh, I want to, I want to stress to people that if you don't like, like horror movies and you don't like, uh, you don't like seeing disturbing death on a screen. You do not want to see this movie at all. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go ahead and give you that caveat right now. Um, mm -hmm. This movie starts off with a string of just seeing the aftermath of what this guy has done to all these women in the area, and um, and uh, it's and it's just and it, all you all you hear is. Uh, you hear like the faint echoes of what happened in the scene in the background while you just see somebody dead on the screen. And, um, and it goes on, uh, it goes on to, um, uh, it goes on to show Michael Rooker and Henry as Henry, as this normal dude who's coming to come into town. He's going to, he's going to be uh, staying with a buddy but he's going to have his uh, is going to have his sister living with him and everything. Um, and as one of the uh, commenters says, yes, yeah, oh, Henry Lee Lucas. Yes, it is based on a real guy. Oh, um, Jesus. Although this guy, um, this guy was convicted of several killings, but he was also one of those guys who would claim like hundreds of killings that he didn't actually do and things like that later on. Uh, but. Uh, so Michael Rooker's coming in to live with this dude and his sister. This dude that he's living with, his name's Otis, I believe. Uh, he's not uh, a very high intelligence, and he's very dangerous in the way he thinks. He's definitely lurching after his sister um, uh, during this movie. There's a point where Henry has to stop him from uh, touching her, uh, basically, in the movie. But they sort of form this kind of like hanging out friendship type of thing. But it's not like when I say hanging out friendship type of thing, I'm not saying like you and me, Jeremy. <laughs> I, they go, they go and I, I don't know if they, they pick up some women at a bar and you're just like, you first you're like, Henry seems kind of nice actually. Cause this is what the serial killers are. You know, that's the, one of the things that we always hear about serial, serial yeah. killers, right? 
They're so normal. Yep. They seem so nice. Blah 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 blah. And even he he even seems to have like this like affinity for dude's sister and like just caring for her, not like any particular like uh you know he doesn't want her in any way it's just hey you know i care for you blah 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 they go out and they get they get some women out of a bar or something like that to go into this car you see this it's like both of them are making out with two women in this car and then all of a sudden henry snaps he just snaps this woman's neck and it's like whoa we whoa i didn't i haven't seen him do anything on screen this whole time and now suddenly he's doing that and uh and after a while these guys just go on sprees and they start like um they they get a they start getting video cameras into it and starting to to shoot the stuff that they're doing and everything and uh all the different all the different moments in this movie where there's like death going on are are just disturbing as hell and mm. just to, just because of the the presentation of it most serial killer movies they're like you immediately you're like oh that guy's got a screw loose and everything's all like stylized and everything this is no stylization at all that's what makes mm. it even scarier i think uh this guy uh who directed is john mcnaughton who is i think best known for wild things it came out uh later on in the <laughs> 90s he also did yeah. mad dog and glory okay. um if you ever saw that movie oh, uh but he did this one and um Apparently there's like there's a there was some con controversy or or like the ending is kind of um, I don't know it's it's up in the air what actually happens and everything and uh, apparently at a screening uh, somebody had walked out on the screening and was out by a bathroom or something and he ran into John McNaughton and the guy's like you can't do that you can't do you can't do what you just did in this movie and McNaughton's like. I guess I, but I get, but I did, I did do that. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, I highly recommend it for those who can handle it. Uh, but I will say that it is pretty disturbing what you're going to see if you watch it. Mm. Um, it's not, mm. I don't, I wouldn't say it's like just blood and guts everywhere. It's just, it's just the way things are, are shown and portrayed on screen that are, it's, it's going to get you. So, okay. um, so yeah, there you go. All right, that sounds intriguing and fascinating and probably not going to move high up on my personal probably list. Probably not. I wouldn't of think that so. Stuff, but mm -hmm. um I do love the the variety in the recommends that we bring on this show. Yep, absolutely. Um, All right, it's time for the big one. The big recommend. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so Big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. Um, so the big recommend uh, this week is The Changeling from 1980. Uh, George C. Scott uh, in this movie. Uh, he, uh, George C. Scott plays a man who has who uh, has to stop on the side of the road. It's icy. It's cold. It's blah blah blah. There's a phone booth out in the middle of the nowhere. Uh, <laughs> there is. <laughs> uh, he uh, he he stops the car. They they've been pushing this car for some time, and he says, "Oh, it's millions of miles down there. Millions of miles." Uh, goes down to it goes to the phone booth to call somebody to help them out, and while he's doing that, some truck going way too fast, and then another car that pulls out in the middle of the road. And then they hit 
his <laughs> wife and his kid. And, um, and I wrote, uh, fuck, what an opening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and, uh, and so now, uh, we, we fast forward, uh, he is, he's, uh, he's moved from New York to Seattle and, uh, he is, uh, renting a house from a historical society that is out there. I, yeah. It's very strange. Uh, but he rents a, he rents a house from a historical society and immediately, uh, uh as he, uh, gets acclimated to the house, he starts hearing thumping noises and stuff like that going on. There's this, there's this constant sound when he wakes up. It's a doo, doo, doo sound. And, uh, of course the guy who is, um, hired to look after the house and everything is like, it's an old house, man. The old house makes noises. You know, we're all, <laughs> all of, all of our, the modern audiences, I'm sure even audiences in 1980 were probably like, yep, we've been through this before. This is a haunted house. All right. Uh, everybody's saying that it's, uh, you know, the pipes or whatever, or it's the wind or it's whatever. And it's not, it's a ghost. It's a ghost child, man. It's a ghost child. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, yeah. As he goes through, he starts getting visions and, and, and like, you know, sleepwalking or whatever you want to call it, uh, astral projection, whatever. I don't know what you want to call it, but he goes through this house and he starts experiencing things. Um, and like, you know, stuff that's just like happens out of the ordinary glass breaking as he walks out the door and, uh, he goes to investigate this door that's blocked off. And he goes up into this room and he finds this old child's room uh, that, uh, but he, and he sees like this image in his head, or maybe he sees it for real. I don't know of uh, this child in like drowning in the, in the tub that's upstairs. And there's a music box that's playing the music that he's been playing on the piano this whole time. He's been playing on the, oh, that's right. Did I forget to mention, did I bury the lead? He's a musician. (laughs) <laughs> and he's like working out stuff on uh, on his piano and he's trying to work out this this piece of music and as he plays it and then like one of the note one of the keys doesn't work he walks away and then the key like mysteriously gets pressed down and it actually hits the note and everything and uh, but yeah, then he goes up to this kid's room and he sees this music box, which is playing the music that he's been composing this whole time. What's going on with this house? Well, he finds out uh, that the he's 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 asking questions and nobody's been living, nobody's lived in that house for years, and uh, somebody at the historical society is very stern about the fact that that house should have never been rented to him in the first place because they didn't go through the proper channels and all that. Um, uh, but, uh, eventually he has a seance <laughs> at this place and it's a really, this is a really good seance scene. Like I've, oh, yeah. we've seen a million seance scenes in movies, especially in the modern day. And they're always just eye rollingly bad. Like none of them seem very good. This one, this woman actually seems like she's in a trance. She's she writing. Does. I don't know how much pieces of paper she needs for this, for this job, but she's, <laughs> She's writing I like, like how her husband just kind of judges. Okay, she's done with that paper. Let me yeah. do paper. <laughs> so so he goes through this whole thing and there's asking asking questions out loud, like you know, did you die in this house? What is your name? All this stuff, and she's writing down all these things on the piece of paper. Then he 
George C. Scott goes back and plays the recording and can actually hear the child answering back on the recording. And that's where movie starts getting real. It starts getting real, baby. It's getting yeah, real. It does. Um, yeah, it does. This movie ostensibly is like a murder mystery. Uh, uh, it's not really. It's it's got horror elements for sure, but uh, it it it's it all comes down to who was the child, why did they why did they die, who killed them, and and for in what who benefited? Is there somebody who's benefiting today off of this uh, type of thing? Of course, if you've seen a movie before, you know. You know, who <laughs> you know who's benefiting. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, this is one of those I haven't seen it in forever. I saw this with my uh, brother a long time ago, and I remember us really liking it. And when I first started watching this, I was like, "Oh no, I I I recommended some movie that's just your basic ass ghost haunted house movie, and it's got all <laughs> the same tropes that I've." I always I send in our videos uh, and everything, but it takes a nice turn, I think, and it's well shot. It's beautifully oh shot. God. It's incredibly technically great uh, uh, as far as the way it is shot, and uh, and George C. Scott is fantastic in it. There's there are moments in here. I think you might also not want to be uh, don't want to forget to laugh in at, at some points because there's some points in this where he's like there's that point where they've okay they they find that other hat property where the well was yeah. and like and like uh they've dug up they've dug up the hand and everything and uh he comes back later and he's sitting there and then that metal that they were looking for just kind of just comes back through the ground and is just lying there george c scott looks down at this thing and he arches an eyebrow like hmm <laughs> like, <laughs> like, hmm. There's a metal there. All of a sudden, huh? that was expected. <laughs> and, you know, so, uh, but there are some moments in there. There's some moments in here that are actually pretty funny uh, in context. But uh, anyway, uh, I ended. I really. I'm glad that I, I revisited this. I think this is a great horror movie, um, and uh, and it's a great mystery uh, uh, overall. And and uh, and even though I think they pretty much tell you right off who is probably responsible, the whole reasons why and the story behind it and how this all came to be is really interesting. Um, and so and so I ended up by the end of it, I was like, I'm glad I recommended this. Anyway, what did you think? Okay, so I this is my first viewing of this movie. Uh, I quite liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm with you. The first 30 minutes, I was like, this is basically a haunted house movie. But mm-hmm. what makes this movie special is, I think, two things. That murder mystery element that comes in behind the haunting and really changes the tone of the movie. And that's a really well-plotted murder mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like you were saying, the way it's shot. Like, there's so many slow, measured pans and zooms there's entire scenes without dialogue. Um, <clears throat> my cat wants to be on the show. Um, mm-hmm. And it just, it's very confident. It knows what it's doing. It's not trying to give you tons of exposition. Sometimes we're just watching George C. Scott react to something and walk around trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the ultimate story of the murder, of what happened and why, is fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the scene where they show you the bathtub 
incident is really hard to watch, um, especially when he starts banging on the side of the tub and mm. connect the dots to you know, the, the noises that he's been hearing. Um, yeah, I mean, George C. E. Scott was great. Um, it's shot incredibly. Um, and yeah, that's a solid mystery underneath just a basic haunted house story. A lot of haunted house stories try to do this. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's the backstory of what happened here, but um, they don't get to this level. Uh, I was really, I, I even wrote down at some points it feels almost like a Columbo. Yeah, that makes yeah. any sense, right? Um, not in the sense that he's trying to fool people by playing dumb, but just this nagging mystery that he can't let go of that he has to keep pursuing. And um, yeah, I just really liked it. Uh, I would give it two thumbs up. Probably mm-hmm. a solid B for me. I might need to watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I love the I love the era uh, stuff. Like like, there's a line she says like. I tried to call you, but information isn't giving out your number yet. Yeah. Uh, and I was yes. like, wow, man, like that is a very specific era in time where that line could be uttered and, and it makes sense within context, of course. But I was chuckling after she said that. I was like, well, you have to wait for information to give you the number yeah. and give it to people just call information and it's not ready yet. Call back tomorrow. Like, how does that work? <clears throat> and uh, I can't remember the actress name, but that's George C. Scott and his actual wife in real life in that movie. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I um, didn't know that. Uh, it's, uh, what is it? Uh, it's Trish Vanderbeer, uh, who's uh, playing the woman who uh, works at the Historical Society uh, and everything. There is also, and I wasn't able to confirm this, but there's also a... Um, Apparently, Joshua Jackson, when he was months old, was in this movie at some point because, like, his mom was a an assistant director or something like that. That's uh, wild. I wasn't able to confirm it anywhere. The IMDb doesn't have him as an uncredited actor here or playing himself or whatever. Uh, but I believe his mom worked on this movie. And so he apparently like shows up, and Giancarlo Esposito has an uncredited extra credit on this movie as well. <laughs> Thought that was really interesting. Uh, so, um, but uh, but yeah, um, getting into a little bit of the spoiler weeds, and I, and I I haven't quite you know uh, figured out what you know what people if people listen to this and say oh I need to watch that movie or if they're if they're just, you know, if they're watching the movie and then listening to us or whatever, but I'm going to get into spoiler stuff here so we can talk about it a little bit. Uh, but <laughs> this is another one of those intriguing things that I don't think you could get away with in modern day. Maybe it, do- maybe you can, maybe you can get away with this in modern day. But this whole idea that you have a son who is disabled and and you kill that kid and then you like get uh, you you uh you uh get an orphan to to become your kid or whatever and then send him off to some european country to uh to get better or whatever and so when he comes back at 18 he's he's okay like i like i it sounds plausible in this movie it doesn't sound plausible. Like some, maybe you could do that. Maybe maybe it's regularly done. Who knows? Like Who I, knows? it's 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 an interesting uh, thing. But um, but but yeah, that, it is fucked up. Melvin Douglas, by the way, really uh really good in the as the uh, senator in this. This was yeah. one of his last movies before he died. Uh, he uh, 
It was uh, he did this and another one called a ghost story or just ghost story or something like that the same year. Uh, he's coming off another movie that I would recommend called Being There um, uh, that uh, he he just did. Uh, so Melvin Douglas was really good in this. Is that uh, I, I I was I was like wondering what was going on at the very end of this where he's uh, he's he's you know he's comparing the medals and he's he, and he sort of realizes what's going on and then we see his it's like his astral body showing up in the house. Yeah. And it's yeah. as it's burning. And, Doctor and, Strange, like Peter Parker, him uh, his <laughs> spirit showed up or something. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, there's just there's a lot of cool stuff in here. And Peter Medak, I don't I don't know that director very like I don't know what what else have I seen of his. Uh, oh, he did Species too. Um, oh wow, <laughs> he did the he did the craze. Um, but yeah, he's still and it looks like he's still doing stuff to this day. Um, but, uh, but this seems like, this seems like, uh, you know, sort of, it seems like we would have known, we would have seen more Peter Medak, like more, uh, of him, the way this movie is shot and everything. Mm. It just seems like, uh, you would, you would know his name a little bit more, uh, than you, than you would in this. But anyway, yeah. Uh, I highly enjoyed watching this the second time. Uh, I don't, I'm looking at the chat. It looks like, uh, how many people? Here are talking about this movie. Well, it looks like they are the wheelchair that was terrorizing the woman, and the oh yeah, <laughs> shot where she falls down the stairs and the wheelchair follows her. Yes, mm. the sentient wheelchair that terrorized that poor. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I, uh, I did want to note that while it is obvious in certain scenes in this movie that George C. Scott is not playing the piano, mm -hmm. um, he did learn to play one piece for the scene in the college classroom mm -hmm. and that's really him playing that um and so even though there's that 360 shot of him in his new house when he's at the piano and he's doing this mm -hmm. and i was just kind of giggling the whole time because that was probably shot before he learned to play the piano for, yeah. for real but um you know i like to give actors credit when they actually learn how to play an instrument yeah so. Well, we had um, <laughs> we had some speculation that you would be bringing up the piano playing in this in this movie, and uh, we've got a boom called it. In I there. believe they know me well, these listeners. Yes, and uh, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Finn Finn Horror says bets on whether Jeremy will comment on piano playing in this movie. Yes, absolutely. And then says yeah. boom called it, and uh, yeah, James uh, Kendler says great creepy score by Rick Wilkins. Yes, Rick Wilkins' Ooh. score is great in this as well. Um, yes, it is. Uh, but yeah, I I was worried this was because um, in the modern day these haunted house movies are all the same. They're almost all yes. the same. So yes. so when I started watching this, I was like, oh, was I in a different place in my? Li I was in a different place in my life when I was watching this the first time, but. I was like, I was like, oh man, did I think this was great? And it's just an average, you know, haunted house movie and whatever. And it really, really pulls through. I was really excited about that because I didn't want to come on here and go, guys, I blew it, you know. Well, I'll tell you what. There is one movie that I'm circulating, circulating, that I'm circling, thinking of recommending someday in the future that I have not seen since I was seven. Mm -hmm. And I looked it up, and it's not well reviewed. But I'm still thinking about recommending it. So don't don't feel bad if you ever recommend one you haven't seen in forever, and it turns out bad. Yeah. Uh, um, so anyway, I will be there to do the same. Uh, I was wondering, what did you think would be a good double feature for this movie? 
be very, very quiet. Secret? What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. I tell you what, the first 30 minutes, I was like, can I name anything other than like a paranormal activity or your straightforward haunted house movie? And then, thank God, that murder mystery came in and gave me some options uh, because I don't want it percolating. That's, that's what I meant. Um, mm-hmm. So the one I almost went with, I'm not going to give you 12 today. I'm only going to give you an almost and the actual one. Okay. The one I almost went with was a Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Ooh, yeah. Um, because of that dark gothic murder mystery with generational family secrets and mm. really fucked up uh, ultimate <laughs> understanding of the mystery. Um, but I did want to try and include a little bit of horror elements into this, and there's mm-hmm. not really any horror in that. So I'm going to recommend for a double feature, Stir of Echoes. Oh, um, nice. <clears throat> with Kevin Bacon, and this is about a man living in a new house, a house that's new to him. Um, who sees a ghost and gets obsessed with the mystery of who killed her, and it's pretty fucked up what happened. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so it's like a 70-something on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so, you know, if you go by that as your gospel, then maybe you won't like it. I remember when I've... I've only seen it once. I remember really liking it and feeling like it was a shame it came out in the shadow of the sixth sense. Um, yep. So uh, that's my double feature, Stir of Echoes. I don't know where you can find it. Um, and yes, it got buried by the sixth sense. It's almost like the, the, these people have listened to us for a long time and yeah. you know, do the show in our stead if we needed them. All summer <laughs> during 1999, we saw trailers for the sixth sense, stir of echoes and stigmata. All those came, all those yep. trailers were on movies forever. It seemed like, and they all came out in like the next month or two of each other. Uh, and, uh, I really loved Stir of Echoes too. I'm glad, I'm, uh, I'm glad you brought that one up. That's a, that's a good one. And we, we, we might even have to fully recommend that one one day. Yes. Yes, we might. Um, oh, I can't spell. Uh, so next week's homework. Are you guys ready? Yeah, let's do it. Um, we're going to stick with the horror theme. Um, and I'm going to recommend 2020's Spontaneous. Spontaneous. Uh, Yes. This is available on Amazon Prime. It's available on Paramount Plus, on the Roku channel, with a premium subscription, Sling TV and Pluto, Pluto, Fly, Philo with a premium subscription, uh, and uh, available to rent on all of the other streaming places. Now, I want to tell you, before you watch Spontaneous, I would advise you to go to doesthedogdie.com and look for Spontaneous, because this movie does have a lot of triggers. Uh, teenagers literally spontaneously combust mm-hmm. sometimes on screen um there's a drug use alcohol um a lot of triggers so go and check that and make sure that this movie is not going to trigger you but uh what i love about spontaneous is it's a genre hopper it's definitely got one foot planted in horror but there's rom-com there's coming of age there's some sci-fi um and there's some drama and mm-hmm. uh i haven't seen it in probably a year. So I'm mm-hmm. excited to get back to it. Um, it's one of my favorite recent movies, and I can't wait to share it. Yeah. yeah, I love it too. I can't wait to see it again. All right. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, let's do some questions. Yeah. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I'm listening. Uh, what is the most petty movie hill you will die on? Okay, so... um. You know, 
I could go on for days about this Die Hard as a Christmas movie thing, but I'm not because that's, I think that argument has now reached, uh, what would you want to call it? Like everybody's just firmly entrenched in their, uh, whatever their belief is about that. And they're never going, you're never going to be able to change anybody's mind. Um, but, um, uh, but, uh, one one I don't know if it's petty or not, but one that I will die on is that the book doesn't matter. Um, mm. Is it, when you have this, uh, when you have a movie that comes out and it has something that's unexplained in it or whatever, and then somebody tells you, "Oh, well, in the book this happens and whatever," meaningless to me. And um, and but I I constantly see. Uh, arguments online that this movie is okay because the book fills in the gaps for you and i'm sorry it doesn't it never it never will uh you made the movie to uh so that people would know without having any other material ahead of time uh now i guess you can make a lot of different arguments about what kind of knowledge you're supposed to have about any kind of movie that you watch uh but uh, but whenever they sort of like miss stuff and they cut stuff out uh, or don't ever film it in the first place, I'm always going to be like, I'm sorry, that doesn't matter. So anyway. I feel kind of this way about the MCU TV shows when mm-hmm. I say something about Doctor Strange 2 that bugged me and I get, well, in WandaVision and I'm like, you can shut up now. I didn't mm-hmm. watch WandaVision. The movie needs to do the job of at least summarizing what I need to know from that television series mm-hmm. and i feel like they're going to lose me over time because now i'm now i'm kind of stubborn now i don't now i kind of don't want to watch wandavision but also because i've been told by many people that doctor strange 2 basically just undoes all of wandavision anyway it um, does so I, you know <laughs> I, I don't want to watch all your all your shows mcu okay so i'm gonna give my answer and then i think we got some good ones in the chat mm-hmm. uh this is very recent petty hill but uh the Muppet Christmas Carol is not a horror movie. Uh, I made the mistake of jokingly tweeting about this after Danae and Ian and I were arguing about it on Slack. And I had a lot of people going, well, it scared the shit out of me when I was six. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Fucking Snuffleupagus scared the shit out of mm, me when I was six. Right. Like, just because a movie has... And then I got I got some pictures of the, the ghost of Christmas future and how scary he looks. And I'm like, yeah, okay. A movie having a scary moment does not make it a horror movie. This is a Muppet movie. Yeah. This is a comedy. Mm-hmm. Just stop with the it's a horror movie because this one thing scared my two-year-old. I'm not I'm not here for it. Yeah, Sorry. exactly. <sighs> yeah, I know. I know, man. I know. All right. Um, Let's, we got some fun over here in the chat, I think. Uh, uh, Castro says, yeah, the problem is more with WandaVision than Doctor Strange 2. I mean, yeah, I was, I was sitting there thinking... They could have done WandaVision a different way and then made Doctor Strange exactly as it was, and then yeah. it would have made more sense to do that and everything. Um, going up here, somebody's asking you a question. Uh, Ketrar saying, Jeremy, oh. wanted to ask for ages now, considering that The Matrix is your favorite movie. I was curious if it's just for the spectacle or if you had some deeper connection to it, as it's also my favorite, all-time favorite, and I saw it at a time where I was a bit lost, so it resonated strongly with me. No, no, it's more than the spectacle. The spectacle is the spectacle is is great, but it's the themes uh, and how much the movie makes me think um, that makes it my favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, that's a good question. Um, somebody's saying Sin City is a good movie. Is a hill mm-hmm. to die on? Mm-hmm. I think that 
was mm-hmm. just for you. Yeah, it was just for me. Uh, 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 <laughs> when I when I read these people's names too, I'm just gonna complete this. I think this is poop notch or poop notch. Okay. <laughs> You know, what are you going to, it says, I think it's a, talking about Die Hard, I think it's a Christmas movie on paper, but not in practice. The only thing that I'll say about Die Hard is that, you know, back in the day when you and Jeremy and I were growing up, Christmas movies always had a connotation of, it was, it was, it was uh, around Christmas, people getting presents, you know, all the things were, were Christmassy in nature and whatever. And then suddenly 20 years after Die Hard came out, we started getting some wise asses who wanted to call it a Christmas movie. Anyway, um, uh, Star Trek First Contact is rote and formulaic. Uh, oh man, where's the boot out of the chat <laughs> button? <laughs> uh... Let's see. Oh, Joseph. Uh, Casual, you know, I read a really good article last year that laid out the actual thematic reasons Die Hard can be thought of as a Christmas. I'm sure you did. Everybody always comes up with something. (laughs) I'm Uh, sure you did. mm, Yep. Um, Joseph says Citizen Kane isn't as good. Are we just doing hot takes now? (laughs) I think we're just doing hot takes now. Just doing hot takes. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, so anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of. Let's go to the next one. All right, another question for you. If you had the chance to watch a movie, I got a little Irish there. Another question for you. Yeah, another uh, question. If you had a chance to watch a movie and get live commentary from the director as you watched it, what movie would you pick? Uh, Airplane. I'd want to uh, uh, listen to the Zuckers and Jim Abrahams talk about uh, just gener- in general, like what they told the actors during these scenes. I mean, yeah, there's commentary on the actual airplane Blu-ray or whatever, but I'd like to hear their like spontaneous, you know, watching it with them. And I'd like to hear them delve. I'd like to be able to pause it and then they can talk about all the different jokes and what, how they, how they set each one of them up because they Mm. said they, they defined a certain amount of jokes. Like they, like different kinds of jokes. They counted, the number of different kinds of jokes that are in airplane. And I just wanted to, I want to hear them talk about the, I just want to hear them talk about joke craft the whole time. That's basically what I want to hear all through this. But I also want to hear how they directed actors because a lot of people don't realize how to act those movies at all. Um, And, and to be able to play it as straight as they did, which in later movies, people step kept on having to like, wink at the camera about everything that they did whereas airplane nobody does that um you know that's something that i I would like to know too how do you tell an actor look this this line is absurd but you cannot at any moment pinch your lips or anything that makes it seem like you said something stupid or whatever you have to say it like this was normal so anyway i would love to hear their commentary that's a good one that's a good one i uh i'm assuming that i would be allowed to interact with them and not merely listen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just an assumption on my part. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would choose Richard Linkletter. Um, I don't yeah. really love everything that he's made, mm-hmm. but I feel like he has made, he has one of the widest um, libraries in terms of genre, style, and tone. Um, he seems to be continually searching. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was reading up on him um in preparation for this question and there's a point in his life where he was watching 600 movies a year Mm. and he just sounds like a peyton manning type who just does so much study of the film 
yeah. art that I think he would have a lot of really interesting insights and things to say uh, about any of his movies, but I'd probably choose one of the before movies, like before Sunrise, yeah. probably. Yeah, for sure, definitely. That's, I mean, any of those, actually. All all three of those before movies are great. Um, but uh, anyway, on the comments, we have uh, Jagged says, I'd love to sit down with Jordan Peele during any of his three movies. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Polly Walnut says, live commentary from any Kurosawa Mifune samurai film. I'd love commentary on all of those. Absolutely. Justin says Blazing Saddles. Absolutely. Uh, that mm. Blazing Saddles trends every year for some various reasons or whatever. Uh, and it was on the BBC recently. And a lot of people were saying, oh, you couldn't make this movie today. Well, I don't think you could make certain parts of that movie today. But the mm. theme of that movie and the way that and the, the message of that movie, you definitely could make that today. You probably couldn't do a couple of things that Mel Brooks did back in the day. Um, uh, but uh, but Blazing Saddles would be great. Hear, hear Mel Brooks talk about it. Oh, it would be it'd be yeah. a whole, like a whole other experience. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, I would love to sit down and watch crime wave with Sam Raimi says Finn. I thought it was actually hilarious, even though I can see why it doesn't really, didn't really work for most audiences. Yeah. And I saw crime wave on the sort of the tail end of watching a bunch of, of Raimi and Cohen movies. And this movie was just like, it just felt like garbage to me uh i haven't seen it in forever but uh i would love i may have to revisit it at some point um uh so god everybody we got a lot of comments on this one um yeah uh let's see uh tenant for me yeah tenant christopher nolan uh because inception is one i can kind of understand yeah tenant is tenant is tough even if you watch the making of of tenant you the the best thing about tenant is watching that hour long uh like making of where they said we came in that day and i was like okay i know this is how we're going to be doing this scene and then christopher nolan would come in and show like the screen like the like the actual things that are going on during the scene and i would be like and we'd have arguments about whether we're going forward, where we're going backward, where we're going blind. You know, like even they didn't know a lot of times um but um yeah uh so uh yeah well there's a oh yeah that was that was a discussion also on twitter the legend of hank is considered sort of a semi-remake of blazing saddles um uh these days i haven't seen that yet but that that was also in the discussion about whether you could make blazing saddles today uh or not uh or remake it but uh anyway uh yeah a lot of good comments there let's Uh, do one more let's do one more We'll call it, what is a movie where you'd rather spend time with the side plots or side characters than the actual story? My answer, the question asker, would be Four Weddings and a Funeral. Andy McDowell and Hugh Grant characters are the least likable and least interesting people Mm, in the movie. mm, mm. The side characters and side plots are all charming. So, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I wasn't able to come up with a rather, but I did come up with a few like I would have liked to have been in on their adventures um Mm. uh and i think you did the same thing too in your answers but uh uh uh, baxter the dog and anchorman after he gets punted off of the bridge by (laughs) jack black because he obviously does he obviously gets into some adventures afterwards right (laughs) (laughs) because there's that point where like 
they 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 fall in that lion cage or whatever and 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 uh the dog comes in and 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 he says i had met one of your cousins while I, was <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that would be that would be a definitely a fun uh adventure <laughs> um the other one was uh benny in city of god since uh um, oh nice he's so cool and everybody you know everybody likes him he's just a he, all he is is a weed dealer man he just sees as a drug dealer he doesn't kill anybody or do any he's just cool all the way through i'd like to hang out with benny more in city of god uh so but but neither of those that. movies i would change i would just right. you know it'd be nice <clears throat> to have like a a side uh side movie with those guys i also did not I, i'm not saying i would rather see this than the movie we got but uh um, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny i did two and one of them's an animal mm-hmm. um jinxie the cat in meet the parents who ben stiller accidentally lets out and then there's a whole plot point where he goes gets an identical looking cat and paints it <laughs> he paints its tail yeah and presents it to the family as because he's so clueless about cats he thinks this will work and then eventually jinxie shows back up at the end so i like to think that jinxie has you know like a little cat adventure throughout the neighborhood and meets some other animals and whatnot i'd like to see yeah that. and then yeah. Also, I would like to see Matthew McConaughey's character in Tropic Thunder. Definitely. From his journey from L.A. to Vietnam or wherever he ends up. <laughs> yes, And yes. how he ends up there with the TiVo box to stop the rocket launcher. Because uh, I bet that would be quite an adventure. Uh, yes. But I really liked that question. Um, yeah. Anything um, fun in the chat? Over in the chat, uh, chat, we have Colossus TV says, I want a whole spinoff for the animals in the new Pinocchio movie. They look and perform better than the whole rest of the film. I haven't seen this new Pinocchio, but I've heard a lot of bad things. Uh, Polly says R2-D2 and C-3PO in Star Wars. Well, if they're not as annoying as they are in the prequels and the following films, I would be, I'd be totally down with that. Yes. Um, uh, uh, yeah, Poop Notch says Baxter, the animated series. Yes. Uh, <laughs> James Kinder says it would have been cool to follow Hong Chow in the cereal box. She purportedly hitched a ride in before she reappeared in downsizing. Hong Chow is the best part of downsizing. Uh, yeah. uh, like that's, she's the reason to watch that movie. Uh, it's cause she's so good. Um, uh, let's see. Um, titanic there are so many stories from the real story that would be insane to watch this is joseph saying this yeah absolutely and and when they were talking about titanic sequels and everybody was laughing like ha 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 how do you make a sequel to titanic well you wouldn't you, you wouldn't make a sequel to it i don't think you'd make a sidequel essentially where you'd have other people on the boat having different stories or whatever uh that's what i always thought that they meant when they were talking about doing a sequel to this but yeah he says is like the baker who is on the stern with Rose, uh, who in real life got drunk as hell during the sink- the sinking and lived. Yeah, that and would be lived. an amazing story. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, Brother Ben says Brad Pitt's character in True Romance. Absolutely, <laughs> he's hilarious in that movie. Um, <laughs> that's sort of like a precursor to him being in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because he's just he's just smoking weed the entire time in True Romance. Don't condense in me, man. Me, man. Um, have you killed? Uh, Jagged says, "What was Gandalf during doing during the two towers? Yeah, he nice. was at home washing his tights." 
Titans. That's right. Um, anyway, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Recotopia. Hope you enjoyed the Changeling. Next week is spontaneous. I can't wait mm-hmm. to see that again. Um, and um, anyway, it was a pleasure uh, as always. I'm glad you guys came out in the chat. See ya. Bye. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com Hey, three of my four cats threw up this morning. Mm. Mm. Do you find that there's a seasonal thing about the cats throwing up? Because I do. My cats seem to do that often around winter. I've also read that it can be um, like related to allergies. Mm. So, like one of my cats, the oldest one, has been throwing up every day for like a week. But I've been having raging sneeze attacks Mm. almost every day, and. My wife is like, you guys are both allergic to whatever's in the air right now. You're both allergic to the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, yeah, sure. I mean, my mom always used to say, hey, they're cats. Cats throw up. Um, but the more I pay attention to it, it does seem to come in waves. Uh, and I think it is kind of a seasonal thing. Yeah. Kind of I, like I actually recently learned my own heartburn is can be seasonal and really? uh, inflated by allergies. Because um, I, I went like four or five months without having any heartburn issues. Before I had one, I was like, wow, it's been a long time since I've had heartburn. Domino has this thing that I don't understand. He has a thing where he gets down in that position to cough something up and just doesn't. He does it all the time. Like, he's sitting there. Like, if if you pick him up, like, from a sitting, like, a lying down position or he gets up too soon from a lying position or something, all of a sudden he's like, oh, no. Got something I gotta get going there, and he'll sit there and cough, but that's it. It won't. It, it's over. He's done that his whole the whole time I've ever had him. So, you think the Titans have turned it around for the most part? No. No. I mean, no confidence there. No. I mean, do I still think it's too early to really know who is what and what they're going to be? Yes. Um. But they need to solve this second half offensive thing. Like, I don't think it's – we can give credit to other teams for stopping them all we want to. But this is almost zero points in the second half for four games. That's not a other team thing. That's your that's right. your team thing. Right. Um, and so during this Colts game – I was like, you better score again here in the first half or you're not going to score ever again considering what you've been doing the last three weeks. And they're going to come back on you. And guess what? They got really close to doing they that. Did. Um, they did. So, and Although yeah, I and, never thought it would happen. <laughs> I and, know. Well, and, and, you know, what do you say about the Colts too? Like what do you make of that team? You know, like. Oh, I think they're pretty awful. They're right pretty now. awful, I mean, I but they beat Kansas City. Yeah, like where, where does this come? Where does this stuff come from? You know, like, like I understand 
it's the NFL. Everybody's a professional. Blah, blah, blah. They all like to say that little, like, blah, 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 blah. But Kansas City yeah. should be beating Indianapolis every single time. Absolutely. Play. Absolutely. And so. That's why I'm, surpri- I'm surprised they're not 0-3-1 o- o- instead mm-hmm. of 1-2-1. and one. They, should have, they should have lost that, that game for sure. Because mm-hmm. Kansas City, didn't they just turn around and beat Tampa Bay? Yeah. Destroyed Tampa yeah. Bay. <clears throat> yeah. So maybe, there, and, maybe Kansas City just had a bad day. Well, and so far I just haven't seen. I mean, the Bills had had two games at the beginning of the season, which you can't grade much of anything on on the first because nobody's nobody's playing. Nobody's playing preseason games anymore. Yeah, and these people are going out like cold essentially into their first games, and it's like it's no wonder there's some teams that get destroyed, thirty-eight to nothing, and you're like, ah, eh, they're not making the playoffs, and then everything's fine later but they finally get in the, but the like swing you, of things after the first two weeks you would have thought oh the bills they're unstoppable right they destroyed yeah. the rams they destroyed the titans then they lose to the dolphins and then they <laughs> almost lose to what was the, the the game this past week oh um baltimore they nearly lost to baltimore and mm-hmm. and it's like and this is a baltimore team that gave up you know 800 yards to the Ty- Tyreek Hill and, and <laughs> Jalen Waddle in that one game, and suddenly the Bills can't do anything. I mean, it's just, and the Bills ended up winning that game. Bottom line, they won it. But you just, I ever, I get really annoyed every football season when the first two weeks go by and everybody's like, "Ah, this team is exactly what we think they are after those two weeks," and they're doing this. <clears throat> no preseason thing to avoid injury, right? Which is dumb, by the way. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's dumb. You can get hurt at any time. So I don't understand yeah. what this whole, well, we, we want to have them for the season. Like, you can get hurt in game one, too. So yeah, get some practice. God damn. Yeah, it's really, I think you, I think that's what they've done is they, they've gone so hard trying to avoid injury in the preseason that they've made the first five or six games of the season a preseason. Because mm-hmm. you used to be, you'd look at the preseason and, and it would be like, oh, the, the Browns uh, undefeated in the preseason. And you'd laugh because that the, that didn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. It didn't translate to the real season. Well, now that shifted to the first five, six games of the season. Yeah. You can't really know. Maybe Matt Ryan's going to uh, turn into like, a good player yeah, for the rest maybe, of the season. Maybe <laughs> you never know. Whatever he's been the first four games. You really don't know. I mean, uh, that's why. That's, that's why I said I just get. I get really. I get really exhausted when they start. Everybody starts proclaiming things after the first couple of weeks. Um, because they think that's just going to happen over and over, and that like, uh, teams don't adjust to what they've seen in the first two weeks. That. Uh, that teams have bad days and that they have, you know, other injuries that a lot of the injuries and I'm, I'm one of these people. I don't keep up with, you know, a lot of those no, like uh, offensive linemen and defensive linemen who get hurt and all that. Those are, those are huge, like ripple waves of like, you yeah. know, and, and if they're not a named player, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't even, you know, know what the impact of of them being lost is going to be. But a lot of times, these people who are just no names are like huge. They're huge, yeah. and we don't know them. And and then suddenly a team starts sucking, and they're like, well, "What happened to that team?" Well, yeah, 
<laughs> Brad Dawkins got yeah. injured. Who's that? Yeah, hey. exactly. Uh, he was the number one uh, rated interior <laughs> lineman. Oh. <laughs> I saw yesterday that the Preds were playing a team in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Or a team from Switzerland. I don't know if they went to Switzerland or hosted that team. Yeah, I don't I don't know either. I saw a little bit of that game uh on a replay. Um and um I didn't stop to watch it, but I saw I saw some of it. I don't know where they well, were. Uh, they may have gone to Switzerland. I don't know. I mean I know it's Fors- weird to me that, that Forsberg from Switzerland. Uh Forsberg is from or is he Sweden? Sweden. Sweden. And yes, Sweden and Switzerland and Swiss and Holland and Amsterdam and mm-hmm. Netherlands, it's all the same place. It's all the same. <laughs> They're place. all the same place. They have it's no defining colors. <laughs> <laughs>